So Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Now, if you weren't here last week, uh, you need to know that what Jonah thought was wrong was the whole of Nineveh, this wicked city, turning to God and God showing compassion to them. And Jonah's verdict is that just seems wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to, this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter. He sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant Though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. Should I not have concern for that great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? It is an extraordinary chapter of the Bible. And in some ways, the, the kind of extraordinary nature of it might make us sort of write it off as some, I don't know, some kind of cartoon character thing that happens at the end of the book. But actually, Jonah chapter 4, you suddenly discover what this whole book of Jonah has really all been about. If we didn't have Jonah chapter 4, then the book of Jonah would be this. Jonah go to Nineveh. No, I'm going this way. Okay, fine. Big fish. Eat him. Off he goes to Nineveh, preaches to Nineveh. God shows compassion to Nineveh. And we say, this is a book about God's compassion on wicked people. But you don't need chapter 4 to get that. Chapter 3 tells you that. Chapter 3 tells you this is about how God cares for the distant nations. Chapter 3 tells you that. So what's chapter 4 for? Well, chapter 4 is to expose something that's going on in Jonah and something that's going on in Israel, God's people at that time. Jonah is a prophet to Israel. We've seen that again and again. And God has a message for Israel. And what we're going to see is that that comes pretty close home to us too. Let me start with an, uh, an image which I hope will be helpful. Um, I don't know if you're into basic car mechanics and maintenance. Probably not. Uh, I'm not brilliant at it, but I do understand this. In order for my car to go straight 
And in order for my car to go well, the front two wheels need to be aligned with one another. If they're slightly off, the car doesn't go so good. Particularly, it's, it's okay at slow speed, right? You know, 20 miles an hour, around five miles an hour, around London. It's fine, you don't notice it. But once you begin to ramp it up on the motorway, and then when you get to France, where you can go faster, which is what we did over the summer, um, you suddenly begin to find the whole car starts shaking. And the reason is because the two wheels aren't quite aligned. And so you have to take it to a place where they'll align the wheels and then suddenly everything's smooth again. Now, obviously, if the wheels are badly out of line, then you're going to really shake. I mean, obviously, if they're really out of line, then your car's going to split in half. I mean, it's kind of like... (laughs) But the alignment of the wheels really matters. They need to be in line with one another. And the shaking is a symptom that the wheels are out of line. It's no good trying to fix the shaking. You've got to fix the wheels, right? It's no good getting a really heavy concrete block and going, perhaps if I make my car heavier, it won't shake as much. Now, the shaking is only a symptom of the problem. You've got to get the wheels aligned. Right, here's the problem in Jonah chapter 4. Jonah's heart and God's heart are not aligned. They are out of line with one another. They're out of sync. They're out of step with one another. And that's why Jonah chapter 4 looks so ugly. When wheels aren't lined up, the symptom is that the car shakes. When hearts aren't lined up with God, the symptom is anger. If you want to diagnose what's going on in your heart, here's the question. What do you get angry about? What is it that makes you mad? We should pay close attention to our anger because our anger is revealing something deep within our hearts. Jonah gets angry twice in Jonah chapter 4. And both times Jonah is angry, he is angry because his heart and God's heart are out of line. And so what we're going to try and do is we're going to try and understand what is going on in Jonah's heart that makes him angry. But we don't just want to do that. We also, as we do that, then want to say, okay, well, what about God's heart? What is the beauty? Could we get a glimpse into the very heart of God? Could we see the beauty of what's happening in God's heart such that our hearts might want to be lined with his, such that our lives might be smooth, might go right, might live the way he wants rather than have lives where we throw our toys out the pram and get angry all the time. So that's what we're trying to do, and we're trying to understand what's going on here, and then we're going to use that image to try and apply this. What would it look like for us to have a heart that lines up with God's heart, such that we live our lives with him? So let's try and work out what's happening in Jonah, then we'll apply it to ourselves. So verse 1, it's pretty clear. Two basic things I think are going on. The first one is shorter than the second one. The first thing that's happening is that Jonah says, I know better. That's what's going on in Jonah's heart. I know better. Look at verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. 
So Jonah watches what God does. He has compassion on Nineveh. It is extraordinary. Remember, you've got to keep remembering this. Nineveh is very, very wicked. It's a terrible place. It's horrendous what's happened in Nineveh. These are the enemies of God's people. And God has shown them compassion. And Jonah looks at that and he goes, well, that's just wrong. And he becomes angry. There is a clash between what God thinks and what Jonah thinks. They crash into one another and the response in Jonah is anger. Because his heart is out of line. It's a little bit like when a parent and child have a clash. A parent does something and to the child it seems very wrong. So they get angry. Because those two things clash into one another. That's what's happening in Jonah. Now I just want to ask you though. Do you not think that it's bordering on the slightly arrogant, maybe even blasphemous? As Jonah, little, little Jonah, turns to the maker of heaven and earth that we've been singing about. And he goes, I think you're wrong. Jonah has such a high view of himself that he thinks he knows better than God. He thinks he sees things more clearly. He thinks he is right and God is wrong. I wonder if you've ever experienced anything like that. I wonder if you've ever found yourself in your heart beginning to point your finger at God and go, you've got that wrong. Perhaps it's something you read in the Bible. Or perhaps it's something that God does. Something that happens in life. And we point the finger at God and say, you're wrong. And we become angry. That's a symptom that our hearts are out of line with God's heart. We love to give our opinion. We live in a culture that loves to give its opinion. This week I have spent a number of hours in a car with Ryan our new ministry trainee. It's been a joy, a real joy. Uh, we've been picking up bits of furniture and picking people up from hospital. It's been done all sorts of things this week. And uh, one of the things, but often the radio's been on and a couple of phone-ins have been happening. Man, phone-ins are hilarious, aren't they? People who do not have the foggiest clue what they're talking about phone up in order to tell the world. It's not, okay, it's not just that you're sitting at home going, well, I think this. It's the moment where you go... I think this, and I think the nation needs to know. <laughs> and it's the people who phone up and just go, well, I know how to fix Brexit. I mean, <laughs> it's like you just do this. <laughs> we love doing that. And in some ways, with other human beings, fine, we can have our opinions and we can share our opinions and we can argue about it. And... But when it comes to God, God doesn't hold phone-ins where he says, what's your opinion on this subject? I'm looking for some advice. I'm looking for some opinions. I'm looking for some ideas. We're talking about the God who is omnipotent. That is all-powerful. We're talking about the God who is omniscient. That is all-knowing. We're talking about the God who's eternal. He's always been and he always will be. And along rocks John T with his 42 years of experience, which is more than most of you. And I rock up to God and I say to him, God, I've got some advice and I think you might be wrong. That's Jonah. 
But I want you to notice something very carefully about what Jonah thinks is wrong. Sometimes you get the idea, um, and you hear this idea, that the God of the Old Testament is quite mean and nasty. He, he judges people a lot, and he seems quite angry. But then along comes Jesus, and it all gets much happier. And Jesus talks about love and kindness. And, you know, Old Testament God, judge. New Testament God, love. That sort of thing. What is Jonah angry about? Is he talking to God and saying, God, you're such a mean judge. God, you're so strict. You're so cruel. You're so mean. You're so impatient. Is that what he's saying? No, Jonah's problem with God is that he's too kind. Jonah's problem with God is that he's too patient. He's too merciful. Jonah comes to God and he says, you're wrong, God, you should have destroyed them. And I think sometimes we get it in our heads that we are more compassionate than God is. We are kidding ourselves. God is so compassionate. He's so much quicker to forgive than you are. He's so much more patient than you are. He's so kind. But to Jonah, it all just seems wrong. So as we, as we think about this, let me just quickly stop here and let's just apply this. Are there areas of your life where you're saying to God, I think you're wrong. I think I know better. Can I say to you that's evidence of a heart that's out of line with God? If you're beginning to think to yourself, God is so harsh, he's so mean, he's withholding from me, he's a spoil sport, he's bad to me, he says I can't have this and I want this. God, you're wrong. This afternoon you have to see he's not wrong. He's never wrong. He is righteous always right but not in that annoying kind of way with people who are always right not that sort of always right you know them you have an argument with them you're convinced you're right and then you google it and they've changed google i mean they've done something it's so annoying God's not righteous in that way. He is righteous in a way that means you can trust him completely. It means you can give everything to him. It means you can leave everything with him. It means he will never do you wrong. He will never do you wrong. He will never harm you or treat you unfairly. This afternoon, perhaps some of us need to put our fingers back in our pockets and say to God, I don't understand this, God, but I do trust that you're right. Jonah said, I know better. But we need to crack on. Um, because the second, the second thing that Jonah, that was only verse one. We're going to speed right up now, sort of. Um, the second thing Jonah says is, I deserve better. I know better, and I deserve better. You see, Jonah prays in verse two, and it's one of the worst prayers in the whole Bible. This is a bad prayer. If anyone ever tells you, oh, just pray the, pray, pray the prayers of the Bible, they'll help you to pray. Not this one, all right? <laughs> Look what he says. He's praying this. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I'm still at home? This is why I was trying to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. So you've got 
In chapter 1, when Jonah runs away and he doesn't go to Nineveh like God says, you think, oh, perhaps he's scared of going. He's not scared of going to Nineveh. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh because he knows what's going to happen if he goes there. And then he says, I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Let's just do some, let's test um, how good our theology is this afternoon, our Godology, our study of God, our understanding of who God is. Which bit of Jonah's understanding of God is wrong? Just tell me if this is true or false, uh, that God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah is absolutely right. He knows God. He knows what God is like. This is what God said about himself back in Exodus 34 when he revealed himself to his people. Back in Exodus, God's people had just been very, very wicked and built a golden calf. And Moses then says to God, show me your glory. And God says, this is what I'm like. I'm gracious and Compassionate, slow to anger, bounding in love. Jonah has absolutely clear on what God is like. It is possible to believe the right things and have a heart that's out of line with God. You could give all the right answers. You could know everything about God. You could know everything about the Bible. You could be an awesome student. You could come to focus and you could know all the answers. And we could say to you, oh, great, you should be a focus leader. You're fantastic. But actually, your heart is not right with God. Because what you know, Jonah knows about God, but he doesn't like God. He doesn't like what God does. Now, here's the irony. What has Jonah experienced of God? Back in chapter 2, Jonah was thrown into the heart of the sea. And he sank down to the realm of the dead. And the seaweed was wrapped around his head. And the waves swept over him. And the current swirled about him. And in that moment, he called out to God. And what did God do? God saved him. Why? Because God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. Jonah, you've experienced what God does. You've experienced God saving you. What happens in chapter 3? There's Nineveh, a city that is in massive danger, that is facing the judgment of God because of its wickedness. They call out to God and God saves them. Why? Because God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. What Jonah experiences in chapter 2 is what Nineveh experiences in chapter 3. And in chapter 4, Jonah says, I don't like what you did to them, but I like what you did to me. How can that be? How can he be so blind? How can there be such a disconnection between what Jonah sees God's done for him and what God would do for others? How can Jonah not see that? I tell you why. It's because Jonah thinks he deserves it. Well, of course you're kind to me. I'm one of God's people. I deserve it. I deserve for this. We're one of the special ones. Nineveh, they're wicked. Jonah has a sense of entitlement. And that leads him to treat Nineveh completely differently to himself. 
Do you know, that sense of entitlement, that sense that I'm special, that sense that there's something about me which means that I deserve to be treated differently to you, that lies at the heart of Jonah's problem and it lies at the heart of many of our problems. It's what lies at the heart of racism. It's what Jonah's doing here. He's being a racist. Not them. But yes, me. And when we begin to feel like there's something that we're entitled to over and above them, you can see how racism and classism and elitism and all that stuff begins to grow because here am I thinking I'm entitled to it. And our culture is constantly telling us you're entitled to it. You're entitled to everything because you're special. You deserve everything. You deserve the world. You should be whatever you want. You should take whatever you want because you're entitled to it. And then what happens in our culture is that when someone else comes along and we don't think they're entitled, we hate that. Now what happens within church is that we have an extra reason to feel special. God loves me. I'm one of God's people. I'm special to God. And we love that. We love to come together like this and sing the songs about the way that God loves us. We love to sing songs about God's kindness to us, His mercy. What a great and awesome, wonderful God. But is there ever a sense in us that goes, and I think I deserve that. He loves me because I'm better than them. If God's love begins to make us feel special, as in different to everybody else, we're in trouble. You see, what Jonah should have seen is that Nineveh is no different to Jonah. Jonah was just as wicked as Nineveh. Jonah ran from God. Nineveh was running from God. There's no difference. Jonah was supposed to be able to look at Nineveh and say, you showed compassion to them just like me. But we find it really difficult. We find it really difficult not to feel like we're slightly more important and slightly more special. And we get asked to serve in some way in church and it makes us just feel a little bit more self-righteous and a little bit more special and a little bit more important to everyone else. And all the while, what's happening is the wheel of our heart is getting more and more out of line with God. And it means that when something good happens to someone over there, we can't cope with it. Let's carry on, see how this works out in Jonah's life. I I want to show you what happens. Jonah's so angry that God would show kindness to them. Even to the point of saying, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. God saved his life from the place of death, and Jonah now wants to die. This is horrendously ugly. Jonah's having a full-on tantrum, right? You've all been to the shops and seen a kid having a tantrum when they've completely lost it. 
complete, you know, an absolute meltdown, just screaming. And you can see the parents kind of like, and everybody else is kind of like, who's that kid and all the rest of it. And one good tactic is to do what God does with Jonah the toddler is to ask them a question. Next time you, if you're ever in a situation where you're trying to control a toddler, just say, is it right for you to be angry? Is that right? You could try that. That's God's tactic. He says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? He wants to ask him, is your anger right, Jonah? Jonah doesn't answer. He storms off. He goes out and sits down at a place east of the city. There he makes himself a shelter, sits in its shade, and waits to see what would happen to the city. What's Jonah doing? Jonah gets himself a little place. He builds himself a little tent. He gets a chair, pulls it up, sits east of the city. What's he waiting for? I think he's still hoping that Nineveh will be destroyed. So he's going to sit outside the city on a hill so he gets a good view of the destruction. His heart is so out of line with God's. You see, actually in Nineveh is the place now of compassion. It's the place of blessing. It's the place of new life. Jonah leaves the party of Nineveh to go outside to sit on a hill and be outside of it. Actually what Nineveh needed was Jonah to stay and teach them that the God of heaven is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in love. They needed Jonah to stay and teach them but he doesn't care so he goes and sits on a hill and waits for them to be destroyed and then God gives him a plant and up it grows and he's very happy and there is, there is, it is supposed to be funny, right? Jonah's sitting there and he's like, yay, a plant. Then along comes a worm. And the plant is provided by God and the worm is provided by God because God is teaching his prophet a lesson. When the plant comes up, Jonah goes, yes, quite right. This is what I deserve. I deserve better. I deserve a nice plant. Then the worm comes. The, the plant is taken away and Jonah flips out for the second time. Why? Because his view of God says that God exists to make his life easier. He was nice with the shade. Now you've taken my shade away and now I'm angry with you again. You didn't destroy the city. I wanted you to do that. You did destroy the plant, and I liked the plant. It was making my life easier. And we can be so like Jonah in that sense that we just expect God to make our lives easy, as if his job is to make our lives comfortable and to give us nice leafy plants that we can live under so that we can be comfortable. Why? Because we deserve it. Because we're special. God wants to show Jonah, Jonah, your heart is so far out of line. So far out of line with mine. And again, God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah, wake up. You're angry about a plant. Jonah doesn't get it. It is, he says, I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. And it is pathetic. And then God, 
this moving ending to his letter where you see God's heart. You'll know God's heart's like, this is it. He says, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. Jonah, that's where your heart is. That's what you love. That's what you're concerned about. Things that don't last, that bring you comfort. That's what you love, Jonah. Now, Jonah, can I tell you what I love? Can I tell you where my heart is? God says, should not I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hands from their left? Jonah, you care about a plant. I care about people. I care about a city of people who do not know what they're doing. I care about a city of people who don't know who made them, who don't know what they're made for, who don't know where true love is found, who don't know where true freedom is found, who don't know where compassion and forgiveness is found. God says, that's where my heart is, Jonah. And this massive question is left hanging. Jonah, you must bring your heart into line with mine. You must allow your experience of my mercy to then enable you to show that mercy to others. Bring your heart into line. And the story doesn't tell us what Jonah did. It ends on a cliffhanger. Why? Because God wants Jonah to think, God wants Israel as they read this book to think, God wants us as we read this book to think, where's my heart? Where's my heart? Jonah's heart is out of line because he thinks he knows better and he thinks he deserves better. When you come to um, the New Testament, when you come to Luke's Gospel and you meet Jesus, you discover in Jesus a man who's heart always perfectly lined up with his father. A man who perfectly shared his father's heart for the city, his father's heart for the nations. And Jesus once told a story about two brothers, a younger brother who was very, very wicked, a younger brother who deserved to be cut off and thrown out forever, and an older brother An older brother who looked very good and who knew the right answers and who knew the right stuff. But when the father in the story showed compassion and mercy to the wicked younger brother, the older brother became angry. Why? Because his heart was out of line with his father. And this is in Luke chapter 15 and the older brother flips out and he ends up where? Outside. Remember outside, just like Jonah. Outside. He's outside the place of blessing, pointing the finger in his father's face, saying, all these years I've slaved for you and you never gave me anything. I deserve better. I deserve for your kindness. And you've shown it to him? How dare you? And the father in the story pleads with the older brother, just as God pleads with Jonah, share my heart, come into the party. You know how the story ends? We don't know. 
Just like Jonah. It ends on a cliffhanger. It ends with bad people. What are you going to do? And the whole reason that Jesus came was to show us the Father's heart. To show us just how much God loves cities like Nineveh. God loves the cities so much that when Jesus was walking towards Jerusalem, he wept over the city. He wept when he saw people who did not know their left hand from the right. Jesus loves the cities because they're full of people. People who are made in God's image who don't know the God who made them. And Jesus came, sent by his Father, to die on a cross to to save the people that he loves. And many of us in this room have experienced that. Many of us in this room have experienced the kindness and compassion of God. God saved you. He saved you not because you were great. He saved you because he saved you. He loved you because he loved you. You were no different to Nineveh. You were no less wicked than Nineveh. You needed no less saving than Nineveh. God had to send his precious son to die so that you could be saved. He lifted you from the depths of death and he raised you up. Compassion has been shown to you. I hope that at least gets you excited. But the danger is that we take that compassion for ourselves, but we don't want it for others. We don't share God's heart for others. And if God loves the world like that, then how can we not? How can we not share his heart? I was very challenged by this as I was preparing this. Because if you apply the anger test, what makes you angry? And what stresses you out? It is quite revealing. Yesterday I got very angry and stressed out about something. The car that we've recently bought, the engine light came on on the dashboard. Indicating that there's a problem with the engine in our new car. I was frustrated, I was angry, I was anxious, it stressed me out. And then I thought, I'm preparing a sermon. And I thought, when was the last time I even felt vaguely like that about someone who doesn't know Jesus? When was the last time I walked over London Bridge and I wept because there are thousands of people in our city who don't know him? And I thought, this is pathetic. This is pathetic. I'm no different to Jonah. I want my car. I want my nice car. I want it to go smoothly. God, why have you made made me buy a rubbish car? Perhaps because God wants to say to me, you wake up, you muppet. It's not about your car. That's not what I'm interested in. I'm interested in thousands of people in London who don't know Jesus. Now let me say, God does care about our lives. He does care about the details of our lives. This is not to say that we should never get... He does care, but it is very interesting what we get stressed and angry about. And this afternoon, if we find our anger, if we find our frustration and our stress in the wrong place, the answer is not to go try to fix it. It's to go back to the heart. And this afternoon, say, Lord... 
I want my heart to be in line with yours. Really, as you leave today, that's what I want you to be praying. I don't really want you to go and do anything other than to pray. Lord, would you bring my heart into line with yours? Can you imagine what would happen in our church family, in our city, if the churches of London had their hearts completely in line with God's? Think what would happen in our city. That's what we should be praying for. That's what the book of Jonah is challenging us. Forget your leafy plants. Get your eyes on the city. Now that might mean all sorts of different things for all sorts of us. Some of us, we've never experienced God's mercy for ourselves. There's nothing better. You've got to experience it. You've got to turn to him. It's fantastic. Some of us, it will mean making difficult decisions. For some of us, it might mean staying in London longer than we want to. I know that lots of people don't really like living in London. And for many of us, it will be right at some point to move out. But what if some people said, I hate London, I hate the busyness, but there are so many people who don't know Jesus, I'm going to stay. Those sorts of decisions are decisions that are in line with God's heart. Let's be thinking about how we can live our lives with our hearts in line with God's. Why don't we pray, and then we're going to sing. And we're going to thank God and ask him that our hearts would line with his. Heavenly Father, um, thank you that in this chapter we get a glimpse of your heart. And it is beautiful. What a heart of compassion. What a heart of kindness. What a heart of gentleness, patience. And Father, we pray that we would taste that and enjoy that and know that compassion ourselves. And then that our hearts will be brought into line with yours. Father, forgive us for all the times when anger bubbles up, when our lives shake. Because we're not in line with you. Line us up and then use us for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.